0: hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the fantasy animation podcast with me chris holiday and me alex sergeant so the episode that you're about to hear is the last in our schedule of what might be called our normal programming this is because it was recorded many months ago with alex and i getting together to discuss popular television program dungeons and dragons since then however things have changed alex and i are both self-isolating as a result of recent circumstances meaning that we're currently holed up many miles away from each other uh, and recording this remotely via the wonders of technology. So I'm holed
1: up here in London, um, refusing to go outside because there's too many people about. Uh,
0: And I'm doing something similar down in Kent. Uh, But to make the most of this unprecedented situation uh, and to continue the podcast release every two weeks, however, we're offering the chance for our listeners to get involved. Uh, This means we'd like you to play a part in the next lineup of podcasts, uh, and you can do so in two ways.
1: That's right. Firstly, um, we are aware that uh, as times have changed, our viewing habits and media consumption has probably changed too. I know, for example, that I, over the last few weeks, have been watching a lot more 90s television serial dramas than I was uh, a month ago and eating a lot more mini Battenbergs. Um, We're all changing, we're all adapting, and we need films to help us through this mess.
0: So, uh, firstly, let us know your favourite feel-good film, the fantasy animation that you've turned to in these challenging times. Get in touch via the website uh, and on social media using the hashtag feelgoodfananim. Let us know, and we'll aim to do it on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. Is it a nostalgic favourite that you've not watched in years that you're re-watching constantly now? Um, is it a film that's unexpected, a film that you sort of perhaps didn't really have a prior relationship to before um, this crisis that now you find yourself turning to? Um, perhaps it's a guilty pleasure if you even believe such a thing exists. Um, let us know the film you're turning to to make you feel good.
0: Uh, secondly, uh, we'd love for you to be a virtual guest on the podcast. So if there are any animators, academics, creative practitioners out there, fan communities, drop us a line via the website with an idea of a film or a television programme, uh, and we'll get in touch and endeavour to get you on as a guest to talk about it. Absolutely. We want
1: to talk about films that make us um, happy, films that get us through Um, troubling times um, and fantasies and animations tends to be the kind of stuff we're looking for um, in in circumstances such as these so let us know your feel good fantasy animation
0: or drop us a line via the website um, and get in touch and we'll endeavor to get you as a guest on uh, the next round of fantasy animation podcasts
1: So you can get in contact via the normal social media streams. Um, Our Twitter handle is fananimresearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M research. Um, The same for Instagram, which is now live. You're going to hear me at the end of this episode say it doesn't exist yet. I am lying. Um, Instagram is live, shiny, and ready to use, as well as on Facebook, and also, of course, through our website, fantasy-animation.org.
0: Or you can get onto social media and use the hashtag feelgoodfananim, feelgoodfananim. Uh, Let us know your favourite or your feel good fantasy animation hashtag FeelGoodFanAnim and we'll do it as an episode on the podcast.
1: But for now, enjoy the show. Hey, look! The Dungeons and Dragons ride.
0: Wow! Me? Give me a break! I don't like this. Whoa! What's happening? Fear not, Ranger. Barbarian, magician, thief, cavalier, and acrobat.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast, your fortnightly guide to all things animated, dragon related, and um, and dungeony, particularly with this episode. That's a
0: very specific introduction <laughs> <laughs> that relates to only, well, not to only this episode, but.
1: I think we've been dungeony
0: in the past, have we? We have. We, well, we, we have. What's
1: been our most dungeony episode up uh, until this point?
0: Yes, a new feature of the podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't. Well,. If you'd have asked me it before this episode, yes. I, I don't know what I would have said. But sure. After this episode, I'll say this one.
1: Tweet us our most dungeony episode yeah, yeah, at sure. Fan Anim Research. F A N A N I M Research. Apparently, I I do mess it up if I do it at the beginning, but at the yeah. end, I'm smooth as you like. Alex, what's the podcast <laughs> for this? week. This episode we are doing the uh, television series Dungeons and Dragons, released between the years uh, 1983 and 1985, originally broadcast on CBS in America, as well as um, syndicated and and shown all around the world. I think it was shown on Saturday morning kids' television here in the UK, at least that's where I remember it from. Um, So a nostalgic trip to the past for some of us, um, and a perhaps completely new... uh, Introduction for others, and I'm looking particularly at Chris when I yep, say
0: that. As the only other person in this room, it's nice to be back in a room with just you Which to do, al- it, do a podcast. Always, it's, it's better this way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know? um, um, and we have
1: to be on our best behaviour when there's other people. Around. Yeah, this is
0: true. Um, yes, I'd never. I'd, obviously, I'd heard of Dungeons and Dragons as a as a as a game, and ultimately, it's this kind of big franchise now. This multimedia, transmedia franchise. But I'd I was not familiar with the with the program itself, so I watched it online mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, watched it online. What I found interesting was that the suggestions I've now watched this, and maybe I were a list of programs that I were familiar with, um, Brave Star, He Man. <laughs> um, so now my, the algorithms are working over time because it's now suggesting things that are kind of connected to this to this program. But I'd never never seen Dungeons and Dragons the, the series. Um, Had you heard of this particular? Series? No, I'd not heard of this particular series. And, and doing a bit of reading about it, um, its connection to Marvel. When I was watching the program, it come up with Marvel Productions. Um, and was animated by a, a Japanese animation company who I was familiar with, um, the uh, kind of Toei animation company, but I wasn't familiar with the programme per se. But as I started to watch it, uh, the v- contributors, so particularly the voice artists, were names that I was... Fam- this is I don't know whether this was one of their first kind of gigs, but certainly looking at the cast list, there are now actors and actresses and voice performers that have gone on to, to The Simpsons or gone on to do kind of... Um, uh, Nickelodeon so I'm I am interested in in the program it was a I'm not going to pretend it was an easy watch it was a hard (laughs) watch um but uh, and there were 27 episodes in total, so 13 in the first series, eight in the second. Um, I think six.
1: Yeah, it got cancelled after the final third. But
0: six slash seven. So there's this missing final episode. So there's a bit of mythology around it beyond the themes of the, the program itself. So a bit of mythology around this missing last episode, and the script is, I believe, available online. Um, yeah, I think it was released
1: as a DVD extra as well when the when the sort of DVD blew up. Oh, extra. I see. Although
0: yeah. I, I, I watched it by streaming, so I can't
1: say I've um, seen it. But mm. um, I think they they did a few sort of You know, they put it together with some storyboards and and acted out the the, the lost script. So I think there was a bit of discussion on that.
0: Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking looking forward to it. I've got no idea what I'm going to say, but that's for (laughs) uh, me to discover along the way. Much like the the children of the programme.
1: Well, so I I found it a bit of a slog too. I I have seen it before, or at least I've seen a few episodes, I think. Um, I remember it being on Saturday morning um, television and probably like... Um, and I've probably misremembered this, but in my memory, you know, on like live and kicking or something equivalent where yep. like you'd introduce it and it would sort of jump straight into it kind of stuff with presenters. Um, and as soon as the opening title sequence started on the first episode, we're we'll watching it now um, where um, a small boy goes, hey, look, it's a Dungeons and Dragons ride. I, I immediately sort of snapped back into some sort of sort of primordial version of my own self. And I have definitely vividly remember that title sequence. I can't say oh. I remember much else about it other than the basic sort of structure and and format where... So the the
0: narrative sort of goes... It's very (laughs) formulaic. When you watch them in quite a concentrated, um, uh, you know, I suppose that sort of method of watching creates links between texts that might not have a link. But my goodness, when you watch them in quite a concentrated fashion like this, the dialogue is is, uh, not diverse, shall we say. Well, I think
1: think maybe that's an interesting place to start with it in that I, I was struck by that. I was struck by how uh, episodic and formulaic the show was. Um, and and my experience of watching it as a kid is probably the best experience you're going to have with it in that this is a show seemingly made in an era of television, right? Where um, the, the, the sort of um, reliance on a week-by-week viewing pattern mm doesn't really exist, right? Um, And instead, um, and this has been talked about in television studies more than um, fantasy or animation studies, um, the sort of long-form serial narration um, isn't really um, kicking into gear just yet. Certainly not with um, sort of, you know, quote-unquote low-brow productions like this. So what we get here um, which I think is very interesting, is is a high fantasy series that very much um, is made for an audience that's um, going to miss a few episodes. And therefore, the, the basic narrative beats are extremely episodic, which I found mm-hmm. quite surprising because you would have thought Dungeons & Dragons, high fantasy, alternative world, myth, legend, quests. Yeah. Um, what you would get is this great big, almost incomprehensible... Uh, narrative feature yeah um, but what we get instead is something that's very easy to digest in fact there's no sort of opening episode there's no pilot there's no um, origin story the origin story is told every week in that opening 30 yeah. second title sequence and then we just in, jump into basically monster of the week format
0: yeah no the the, the opening title, as I said uh, it's interesting to me because when you watch the program from the first episode, it feels like it's you're joining something in the middle, and actually, that's something that remains consistent: the fact that there is no sort of quote unquote establishing shot mm. to get you into to kind of what's happening. So the title sequence does something that I've never really seen title sequences do before: is that it it is the it is the title sequence, but also the pre credit sequence, mm. whilst while also being the blurb on the back of the yeah. the book or the DVD or something like that. So you ha- you can join the program at any episode and understand what's going on, because the first episode might as well have been the middle of season two. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely, I... absolutely.
1: I was expecting the episode... So the, the title sequence, in, in about 30, 40 seconds, it goes... It tells you the basic sort of narrative parameters you're dealing with, which is there's a bunch of um, kids ranging from... I suspect the oldest is supposed to be about sort of what fourteen, thirteen, yeah, I go yeah. to down to about sort of ten. I would suggest. Yeah. Um, so it's a sort of group of of, of you know uh, you know uh, uh, young high school, I think high the, school, to, yeah. high school to middle school. I think would be the American sort of definition of it. Yeah. They go on a Dungeons and Dragons ride. It's somehow magical or cursed. They get zapped into the realm of of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, they meet the dungeon master, who is this sort of slightly Yoda ish. Um, Slightly Yoda-ish, yeah, 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 my figure, goodness. Yeah, all right. He what? is one poorly constructed sentence away from being a character in a Star Wars <laughs> uh, movie. Um, who is their sort of guide through the realm, um, and they are on a quest to try and find a way back home. Uh, and on the quest, they have to battle against Venger, the force of evil, um, and the all other kinds of monsters and, and uh, antagonists that exist within the realm at the same time. So yes. that's sort of set up in the first 30 40 yeah. seconds. And then what you of get of every episode of every episode. <laughs> yes, literally basically what I just said is said in the first sort of, you know. Yeah. Um and then what you get is um each episode is sort of the, you know, problem of the week episodes. Um, so there's not really any overarching narrative other than that. What there is instead is, you know, um, they walk into a particular Land and discover a problem, and help solve it, and then go on their way. So um, it sets up a structure that can be repeated throughout.
0: Yeah. So the characters themselves, and I think this was the first sort of couple of notes that I had, um, where I was trying to pull in different animation influences. The first note I had was just very Scooby Doo. So in the way that so you have Hank, and what I like about the characters as well is that they are sort of blank canvases. There is no because there is no backstory. Their identity in the program is the identity that they have, and so there's no sort of, uh, and and there's no sort of disjuncture I think between what they used to be and what they now are. So when these characters get zapped, as you say, through the ride into the world of Dungeons and Dragons, they are immediately allocated roles by the dungeon master that is then again repeated as part of the title sequence. So you have Hank, who is a ranger, um, who uses this sort of like bow and arrow with a with a glowing bow and arrow with with um, um, Destructive arrows. You have Eric, who is probably my my most favourite character, the Cavalier, because because he is the most sarcastic, the more sardonic. He gets a lot more sarcastic, um, and actually, as the series goes on and in the into the the third series, um, and so I think he's probably my favourite. He he is also the one that there's a couple of moments in episodes where he looks at the camera, which is very strange. He's funny. Um, he doesn't really like being in this world, mm-hmm. and he's often the one that has to be talked round. He's very much the there. sort of
1: Edmund of, of this world, um, from Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. The sort of, you know, the, the character that doesn't quite buy into the, yeah, the yeah. sense of adventure. Or the buy into the fantasy. Just wants to, yes, or just wants to go home. All and, the time. And he's quite sort of curmudgeonly in his approach to yep. it. Yeah.
0: Uh, you have, uh, and he's du- the
1: cavalier, which is a yes. sort of, um, he has a sort of uh, a shield and a sword and so sort much, of a kind of classical medieval
0: knight sort of. But it's interesting, kind of yeah. just looking online at descriptions of him that suggest that he's a spoiled child. Like, again, there's, you don't really get much of their backstory, so you don't... Get that sort of jarring. You get hints. You, I suppose you get hints when they are suggesting the things that they miss about the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a couple of episodes where they're foraging for food, and he shows his disgust that he's you know he's not used to that kind of cuisine. Um, Diana, who's an acrobat, um, who is uh, I guess the, the gymnast of the group, and a lot of her um, heroic moments come from her athleticism and her physicality. And
1: we're going to have to talk quite a bit about the racial. Problems surrounding Diana's character she in is, terms of she is dressed quite uh, obviously as a sort of Amazonian yes, kind of warrior is. woman. She adopts think, and, and is African American. No. Yeah, but
0: there's something interesting around, and maybe we'll get to talk about well, it's, magical yeah. Negroes, the kind of magical mm. Negro archetype that there is a certain sort of degree of unknowable exoticism, other, or certainly the way that she's othered. Um, Yes, uh, yes, we will talk about that. Uh, my second favourite character, Presto, who is this daft uh, magician who can't get a spell right. Yeah. Um, and, and he's a sort of a nerdy are, figure, isn't he? Yeah, his, um, his spells are grating to the ear because he, you know what's coming. He just rhymes this little rhyme thing and then the wrong thing comes out. But he gets again, he gets funnier. More
1: right? on Presto as well later. Um, we have Sheila, the thief. Who has a sort of invisible um, mm-hmm. cloak, um, almost sort of very much what's the Fantastic Four um, invisible woman from that yeah, kind of Harry Potter. The, yes, that too, yeah, sure.
0: But sure. isn't she, isn't the, the big thing about her is that she's never really, all the others are called magician, acrobat, uh, she is never really called thief, she is just called Sheila. So in yes. the programme, she's never called the thing that she's she, always. She's
1: identified as the thief in um the in sequ- the title sequence. Yeah. but, but off- then she's just that, called no, Sheila. She's not. Yeah, you're right.
0: Um, and then we have a couple of others. So we have Bobby, the the uh, barbarian, who I think is the youngest. Yes, and, and, the and group. I
1: believe the younger brother of Sheila as well. That's sort of hinted at at various points. Is yes, yes. Towards the end of the, the series, yes, yes, that's yes. made quite clear. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, and then you have, I suppose, the other, or you know, the the the. the Two other characters that are the main ones are the Dungeon Master and Venger. You have Uni, who's this unicorn. Um, yeah, the obligatory
1: who, co- comedy sort of unicorn animal psychic.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, he, he as we talked about this in a previous podcast, the fact that a lot of animals in animation just end up being dogs. So it's a unicorn that might as well be a dog. Yes. It's like the horse entangled or whatever. It might as well be a dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have Uni, who's this? Who is interesting as a character? Um, because the character is always there, but the voice—so it doesn't have a voice—but Frank Welker, who is uh, a voice artist, um, and we'll talk about voice voice artistry—is um, known particularly for sort of sound effects and worked on Scooby Doo and things like this. So it's got quite—he's quite a prominent voice artist. Okay. Uh, but it's really Dungeon Master, who is this, as you said, this Yoda-esque figure who speaks in riddles yeah. and rhymes. So and, every,
1: every episode, he'll say something invariably in about the first minutes, min—about minute three minutes yep. thirty-three—will say something like. Um, you need to travel over here and the answer you're seeking will be found in a mirror that you cannot see through or something yeah. sort of equally yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. cryptic or something like that. And then and, just disappears. And then disappears and then by about, about minute 18, it all becomes clear what he meant.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, although there are nuggets and, there, and and I think more in the second series than the first. And I, and I what interests me actually is the discrepancy between the series. He becomes a character that gets a little bit more to him and mm-hmm. so there's a couple of lines of dialogue as the last epi- uh, the last lines of an episode that hint at something was his fault or something he is connected to other characters in a particular kind of way um, and then Venger so Venger is really the primary antagonist yes yeah, the- so he's a sort of
1: great big gargoyle evil monster um, plotting dark lord kind of you yep. know again fleshed out a little bit more in the later episodes but certainly at the beginning a very kind of generic stock voiced by uh, a big star big, yeah big star
0: Optimus Prime Big star. Okay, so we'll talk about uh, yeah. As I said, the voice artistry in this in this program is one of the most interesting things um, for me, and certainly given that the program himself uh, program itself, sorry, and given that the program itself is from this period of children's television and, and sort of, I wouldn't say a rebirth, but we're moving towards in the 80s that sort of late 80s rebirth, if you like, in inverted commas of of animation. Um, you have a lot of decent Transformers. Um, all the yeah, brave stuff all the programs I like mean He-Man you get a lot of stuff in the 80s so um, yeah we, sh- we can talk about that uh, any other little characters I mean there's a, there's old demons and yeah and then you'll have you know, the inevitable and...
1: sort of monsters of the week that will pop up and, <laughs> and, and engage with all these things all. Yeah. but usually Venger's behind it all uh, yep. you think someone else is actually the villain but it turns out it's mm-hmm. Venger um, they solve it they move on and about every six or seven episodes they, they, they normally find a way home and they yeah. don't and they have to uh, keep
0: carrying on on their quest so this is an episode for us that is a return to the small screen so we mm-hmm. haven't done television for a long time um and it's also an advantage for us where we can look back on all of the episodes mm-hmm. i think when we've done previous series we've we've sort of um yeah, we've had to pause halfway. yeah through we've and... when we, or we've taken a look back and gone this is where the series is at the moment and i wonder where it will go subsequently um but here we've got three discrete series that are um that we can look at that are readily available online so if you, if you or you know to, to buy so if you're interested in the series you should you should watch it because it is in, it is interesting and in, in terms of authorship you have the same um, pretty much the same directorial team John Gibbs directs every single episode in collaboration with a guy called Bob Richardson in the first series so it's very much uh, I'm not going to use the word authorship but he is I'd be interested to learn more about John Gibbs as a as a figure and his contribution to um, American television in the 19, uh, 1980s, but it's a manageable 27-episode series that has some stuff to say about mythology and magic and um, friendship. Well, and... well, well,
1: well let's, start, let's start with mythology and magic then. Sure. So um, I guess what interested me watching it primarily is its relationship a little bit to the... To the, the role-playing game, of which it's based on, yep. um, and its relationship to sort of fantasy media history. Um, so let's start with the role-playing game, if, you, if you, you'll indulge me yep. for a second then. So uh, do you know about Dungeons &
0: Dragons, the game, at all? Not, not really. I'm not a massive gamer more broadly, but um, yeah, I... I... I'm aware that it is popular and I yeah. know a little bit about video games, but I'm not, well, well, I'm not they, a gamer you, as Well,
1: if, if, if we had the QI Elves here, the klaxon would just say <laughs> <it> because <laughs> Because that's the thing that I want to stress here for those who haven't um, engaged with Dungeons & Dragons. Um, Dungeons & Dragons is a particularly popular... Um, Sort of role playing game in the in the nineteen seventy seventy four, I think it first came into um, fruition. It was it was a huge cultural phenomenon. I think it's still it still exists, but I think it's um, been rivaled now in in attention by things like World of Warcraft or yep. Warhammer, Warhammer, yeah, uh, and things like that. But 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 this was the first one. And what I didn't know about Dungeons and Dragons, because believe it or not, I did not play this game when I was a kid. In fact, I wasn't a Warhammer person. I wasn't, you know, to those who are out there, I consider you a friend and a a brethren and a scholar but um, I I am not that person, it would be silly for me to pretend if I was Um, so I didn't know about it until I started doing a PhD on fantasy uh, fiction, um, and I discovered it isn't a video game um, and it isn't even a board game, really what it is, is a collection of um, structures and rules that allow gamers to basically play whatever game they want so all that the Dungeons and Dragons really is, is a set of props, um, including some dice, um, a way of doing battles and sort of formulating and regulating who wins and who loses. But the basic format of it is that you get a bunch of mates around, um, you get six friends around for an evening, you nominate one of them to be Dungeon Master, you pick a role within the story, and then you play Dungeons and Dragons. And the Dungeon Master will tell a story... We'll say you're, you know, uh, if me and you were playing it right now and I was Dungeon Master, I'd say, right, Chris, you are, um, do you want to be a warrior, a thief, or, uh, or a wizard? Wizard. Right, fine. So you are a wizard and you are walking along a dark wood and an orc jumps out. Do you battle the orc or do you um,
0: uh, use your um, spell to uh, make it go to sleep? Uh. I'd say, well, that, or I'd say something sarcastic and make them listen to the podcast.
1: Oh, yes, sure. So, so yeah, you'd, you'd get their phone. I'd get them and to s-
0: rate it on uh, <laughs> uh, Apple Podcasts, is what I would do. S- smooth. Yeah. Um, so, so it,
1: basically, it's that. It's, it's, a, it's a communicative, okay. um, creative exercise. It isn't, there are no
0: rules, no wins or loses, other than what you decide within your own individual game. So, this is rife for, you know, questions of world building more broadly, and, and both as a, as a game and how we play with props. There's a lot of writing on fictional worlds Mm -hmm. that talks about children and imagination and building worlds from props. And fictional worlds have their own props within them and characters, part of of the way that fictional worlds read as realistic is that within them they have characters who build fictional worlds Mm. um, whose knowledge of a world will be um, partial or incomplete or uh, whatever. So writing around fictional worlds is all about yeah imagination and how we build props. And it seems like Dungeons and Dragons is part of that. You have loose structures and there's a world that you build there around. There isn't really
1: a world. That's the thing. It's 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 you know. I but you build the a world stock in monsters. the act of doing it. Yes, the dungeon master builds the world. Interesting. The individual dungeon master <laughs> in in a friendship group would build the world. And the the players would would participate in that world building. Mm. Um, and actually, I, I would I when I found out about this, and I, I've played one game of Dungeons and Dragons in my life because um, a friend of mine while I was doing the PhD um, set up a game for me so I could sort of experience it. Um, and um, it was it was exactly this sort of collaborative creative exercise. So it's an interesting thing to try and adapt because there isn't really anything to adapt. It's just this sort of concept of of playing along or role playing. Mm. Um, And when uh, sort of, it's been done as a film in the sort of early noughties, disastrously so, and and all this sort of, they just try and sort of replace it with some sort of generic, you know, world building um, stories, high fantasy narrative. So in a way, what they do here in the TV series is try to replicate that almost in its, its sort of DNA. And what you get, right, is two things are adapted quite well. One is the almost messiness of the world building. And I still, having watched 27 episodes of this, I still have no idea the geography, the the sense of scale, the sense of any kind of formal detail about this world that we're living in. Um, and, it ref- and it reflects the sort of dynamic between player and Dungeon Master. Dungeon Master knows all, Dungeon Master sets everything up, all that yep. kind of stuff. And the final thing it does is it, it creates that kind of um, schism between the role you're playing, warrior, acrobat, yep. wizard, and the, the sort of flesh and blood human going on at the same time. Um, And there's a lot of interesting things we could talk about in terms of the relationship between the role they are playing these these characters in the world. So you know, Hank the Ranger, Eric the Cavalier, Diane the Acrobat, um, and and who they are really, because for some of them, I would argue hank the ranger that kind of works because what hank is is in this role he seems to be the sort of alpha male of the group yeah. he's the natural leader of the group he's,
0: he's fred he's fred from scooby-doo he, he is
1: fred from scooby-doo absolutely he's yeah. fred from scooby-doo so him playing the sort of um strong you know masculine uh that sort of his, his role is a reflection of who he is in their group already yes eric however isn't a cavalier no. he's not a chivalric knight in fact the whole point of that is, that
0: dynamic is that he's the opposite of that. And I make the same claim about Presto. The point yeah. is that these are... And, and and so actually I'm wondering...
1: Yeah, Presto's the, a geeky kid and he's yeah, playing he's this having grand to learn. Merlin. Yeah. So
0: this is perhaps where the title sequence obtains its biggest effect because it's showing that process of allocation. Mm-hmm. So actually within the title sequence you have them wearing their normal clothes this yeah. is 1980s america they're going to the fun fair. they get on this ride and then as part of their transformation they change clothes and they wonder what's happening they look at themselves what's you know what am i wearing and then the dungeon master appears and magics the tools that they will need into their hands and they become and take on these they kind of become and take on these roles so that process of allocation
1: by the dungeon
0: master by the dungeon master is really important because I suppose narratively, given that this is serial television, it's catching us all up as audiences. Mm. But it seems like what you're saying is that it's also calling back to the or a sort of pure form of the game.
1: It's 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 almost a ludic impulse, isn't it? It's it's the game they are all having to play in this world. You will play the role of this. You will play the role of that. Yeah, Um, and that's exactly. How that's that's if anything, if Dungeons and Dragons is anything. It's that it's choosing to play which role.
0: Well, this is you know, given that this is a an adaptation, if we or a, mm. a, a dramatization of a, sure. a game. Um, this is obviously as well before the, an arrival of open world video games, where video games themselves are built on the rules of a particular, the fictional logic of a game that you then go in and explore and maps. And we've talked about this previously, maps mm. and the role of map and, and map map making, but. The episodes function a lot more like levels uh, and mm. missions and things like this. So as you said earlier about the monster of the week, you have the, the narrative beats of each episode are very regular. The title sequence, meeting with Dungeon Master, going off to do something, defeating that person, Venger appears, they have a moment, it's all resolved, Dungeon Master appears again momentary laugh characters coming having a good old laugh. This, oh, Eric. Is,
1: this is a this is a very eighties show in that it does I think about half of the episodes end yeah. with a hilarious yeah. joke and then them yeah. all cracking it up. Yeah. And um, then
0: and then we're off. And mm-hmm. actually the so so each episode functions like a particular mission or a particular Level and a lot of writing. There's been a lot of writing on the relationship between film and video game, and what was it? What does it mean for a film to adopt a video game aesthetic? Equally, the other way around, how video games are becoming more and more cinematic, whatever that word actually ever means. Yeah, um, yeah. But in this case, this is a, an interesting negotiation through animation of something that isn't really a video game, but is closer to a role-playing game that plays out in the world with, as you say, props and counters and dice and things like this. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... A, it's a, I've never really thought about it in that way, but it places a lot of emphasis on the role of the title sequence to get us up to speed as we watch these episodes again and again and dip into the world. But it's the, the programme is not about building a logical, fictional world, as you no. said. It's not and, about and, the geography of the world. It's about how you build the world from its pieces. And if
1: you think about sort of the way the game would unfold, that's yeah. that's that's sort of okay because, mm. you know, if you get six people around a room to play a game with friends, it's very unlikely that after 80 sessions of doing it they're going to have any co- coherent sense of the geography. Yeah. It's not about that. It's about um it's about the realm of Dungeons and Dragons seems to be a realm where you are you are free to take on archetypal fantasy roles. And engage in a shared iconography that allows for different individual quests and adventures to take place. But that's that's sort of all, and that's that is what the show does, for better or yeah. Or
0: worse. I, I suppose <laughs> it does ha- it does have a broader uh, narrative, and the the narrative is just simply these characters that want to get home. But what's mm. what you know they want to get back to America in the ni- nineteen eighty three. Yes, but what <laughs> I guess what is striking about the program is that they do do that. At various points, Mm. but they choose not to to do it. They so there are a couple of episodes um, in the first in the first series where they have the chance, or they are already at home and they have a chance to go through a particular portal and they go back home and they are standing right by. Where yeah. they disappeared. It happens quite a lot,
1: actually. I think it probably happens a good six to 12 times throughout the whole series. So we're talking about, you know, a quarter to a third of the episodes yeah. has a moment where they can either see the world or they manage to come back home, but for some reason or another they can't stay or they have yeah. to go back.
0: So there's an episode in the first series, um, episode 11, called The Box, mm-hmm. which is um, about a box that, or a chest, that at various points, if you put it on a, on the ground, it opens up a portal to somewhere, um, and the end of the episode is that they have gone back home. They they use that to go through the portal, and they are now back, um, standing on the banks of the river before they went into this, this ride. Okay, so this is one of those moments where we pause the podcast um, and stop talking as we were then, yes. and start talking live, well, not live, but... We're always,
1: we're always live and yeah. not live. This is... It's hard uh, to record in advance of yeah. the moment that you're recording.
0: Sure, this isn't a live stream. No, so, that's um, not what
1: we've paused the podcast to talk to you about. No, now.
0: we have paused the podcast to talk to you um, listeners uh, and potential contributors, actually, um, about the blog element of the website. So if you visit uh, fantasy-animation.org, you'll see that we run a uh, weekly blog. So the blog itself uh, pulls in different voices from lots of, of different places, whether you're an animator, creative practitioner... Academic, uh, whether you've been to a film festival, an academic conference, uh, whether you are, uh, you know, been to the cinema, seen an animated fancy television program. Uh, we'd uh, love it could to be hear- an animator who's just produced a new work yes. and wants to
1: talk about it, reflect on it um, creatively. It could, it could be, be um, someone who's trying to get into film journalism who wants to have a, have a go at writing a review. Um, you could just be a fan and love a particular thing. Uh, uh, subject matter and you'd always want to talk about it
0: yeah we've had a lot of people kind of get in contact via the website um, we have a little comments function so if you send a little message to us um, with your potential idea then we'll have a yeah. conversation about commissioning in it
1: there's a tab isn't there at the top it says something like contact us yes. and, and submit form Click so you that. can
0: contact us uh, and also you can follow us on social media so give us an at on facebook send us a message um, so give us an at on twitter or send us a message on facebook uh, and we'll get in touch yeah. Uh, and yeah it would be great to, to kind of publish some of the new work that's being done or or, um, hear from people that perhaps wouldn't have the opportunity to publish elsewhere um, get in touch
1: please do, otherwise we'll just get back to the show
0: let's but unfortunately Venger the villain comes with them so they choose to rather than stay in the world they have to then go back into the fictional world of Dungeons and Dragons to bring Venger back with them so that he doesn't destroy their present and so there are moments where they do have to play out that sort of right well I need to embrace the fantasy, and they choose not to. So it, that's, 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 there's another one earlier on
1: before that, actually, episode six, um, Beauty and the Bog, bog Beast. beast where yes. Where Eric, our favourite, is turned into sort of a sort of, you know... A Bog Beast. A Bog Beast, yes. you know, you can work out what that is. Um, and again, they're offered the choice whether yeah. he will, they will go back or and he'll stay a Bog Beast forever, or... So there's a sort of more of which is more important to you, your identity... Or your um, your sense of home, and there's, yeah. there's a lot and of your friends. Yeah, because
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he they decide they have they or they miss the chance to go home because they decide to, to kind of be together as a team. And yeah. actually, a lot of the episodes are about that. One one might go missing. One of the characters might go missing or get captured or turn into something else, and then they have to work as a team, or they split up and and work in parallel teams. But that's they always kind of come together at the end. So there's that resolution. Mm.
1: But there's also like there's also a sort of thematic of going home or or getting home through the right way so yes. there's quite a few episodes where they're offered like you know some sort of dark magic or uh, yes. or, or or a way of getting home that will be the wrong way of doing it um, there's a, I can't remember exactly the episode. But there's an episode where it's, it's not Pandora's box, but it's like, oh, it's like Pan- Zendora. Zendora's Zendora's box, box. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they, they, you know, do they use Zendora's box or do they not? And for various complicated reasons, they kind of do and they kind of don't. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, there's a sort of very striking episode um, towards the end of series two called the Dragon's Graveyard. Yes. Um, where they they they, they contemplate. Um, they decide that the only way they're ever going to get home is if they kill Venger. Yeah. If they um, if they de- finally defeat their this evil uh, force who keeps sort of getting in their way for whatever reason. So they 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 decide to sort of you know ignore everything else, ignore Dungeon Master, and plot to kill Venger. And there's this whole thematic about um, whether murdering even someone as evil as Venger yeah. um, is justifiable, which is a sort of really interesting, almost sort of Aristotelian. Um, meditation on ethics, so it's interesting. That. Well,
0: this is... An, and this is why the second... Well, the second series and the third series differ in lots of ways to the the first. The so first it, is almost
1: unwatchable. <laughs> um, it, 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 if you are a 30-something uh, academic with not much time on their hands who needs to watch this thing for a podcast, it's yes. pretty... It's pretty... A pretty... Um, tedious affair. Yes. Series two, of things pick up a little so bit. I, but I, I think
0: the reason, that, the reason it picks up is but, is... And I've been trying to think about this and and, and why. And I and I think the first series is about their relationship to not each other, but to the various monsters. Yeah. So a lot of the episodes are about, you know, and, and you can kind of go through through the episodes and they must do this. So they must destroy um, something called the Beholder. They must um Capt- they're captured by a sorcerer called Calic. They're captured by War Duke. They must defeat a bog beast uh, and the, and visit the river that runs upside down, or the heart of the dragon, or the circle of power. Um, yes. Lots or the of gar- things of things on the Garden of Zin. <laughs> um, so there's lots of uh, and, and so actually, what the first series is, it's just thirteen episodes of them trying to um, engage with a particular monster and. Kind of, there's not really much of them learning the rules of the world, they're just in it. And well, they... this is it,
1: isn't it? it's sort of world building, but it's not really because it doesn't teach you any rules of the world. There aren't really rules no. in this world other than basically whatever dungeon master says goes, but you yeah. won't know what it means until it's happened anyway. So yeah. I wouldn't really worry about it, it's so kind much. Of re- yeah. That's the best um. way to build
0: uh fictional worlds, and that's retrospectively.
1: Yeah, yeah, the dungeon yeah. Master. Oh, you, you know, do you don't learn much about no. anything, but but the, but I guess the, if there's not a world building, there's a world, um. Filling in, or whatever, yeah. you know, there's a there's a they're always in a different place, a different region.
0: Yeah. So, what I think is interesting about the first series, then, is that it, it's it's or I would say, I would say the first 10 11 episodes of the first series is that it's about their relationship to the creatures that they're discovering. And there's a kind of I wrote sort of the Ghibli, there's a studio Ghibli quality to some of the monsters, okay? They're quite. I don't know. I I, I don't know what I mean by that, but in the way that they're designed, often they take familiar objects, turtles, um, I don't know, and and I I blanked on all animals now, but and then make them monstrous. But there's something I don't know. There's something very Ghibli-esque about some of the monsters, you know, pigs that are grotesque or something like this. Um, And then there's a moment. I think it's the twelfth episode of the first series, the Lost Children, where they meet other people. They meet other people, and from then on the rest of that so the last two episodes of that series The Lost Children and Presto Spells Disaster Into Series 2 and Into Series 3 are much more about their relationships to to each other Um, we learn more about uh, there are hints about their relationship to Venger there's one episode I think in the second series where Venger lets them off he lets them off and walks away, and he's like, next time I'll get you. So the first series is about their relationship to the monster of the week, the mm. dragon turtle, the slime beast. Who is
1: usually working with Venger, or yeah. Venger's controlling them secretly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: and then suddenly, in this, at the end of the first series, and then I think it's into the seconds, into the second series, certainly the beginning of the second series, you, you meet cu- characters that are, that by the end of the episode, get turned back into their human form. You meet a queen, who is a human. You meet a warrior, who is... You know, um, cast delivers in a certain way, but then gets transformed back into human, and you get more. I felt like you get more human characters, and suddenly it was about them, their relationships in a different way. So, the,
1: the, I guess the, the 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 role of the children shifts somewhat. In the first series, they're the sort of adventurers, aren't they? Yeah, they are. You must. Well, they're you, playing the game. We they're need, the role we need you to the go and get this, do this, kick that, push that knock that over, kill this thing. Yeah. That you know, they're they're very much the doers. And then yeah. the second they're much more sort of almost observers yeah. of and other dynamics yeah. that are going on. You're right. Like they're often allies they meet who have got their own backstories that we learn about and they are given a certain sort of resolution. And yeah. they are they're, they're the catalysts of change, but they're not yeah. necessarily um, the the heroes.
0: Yeah. Or well, that yeah, I mean or they help I don't know, is it, is it that they have more decisions to make because they are the experienced ones of this world? I've just put season, Series 2, the script is better. I just feel like... The, the... There's a lot of... um, Or you get a bit more complexity. So the first series, as we said before, the the beats are very generic and it is very formulaic. Right at the start of the second series, you get a character um, uh, in an episode that is called The Girl Who Dreamed Tomorrow, Mm -hmm. which is about a girl called Terry who is lost within this game, if you like, the Dungeons & Dragons ride, um, and she can see the future. So suddenly we've got an instance where an episode starts to play, you know with its narrative it's not just linear it jumps forward and you have a a fantasy sequence where she dreams about high school and how she might kind of have a relationship um, with Bobby back at school and then it jumps back again so there's a bit of Suddenly we've got a bit of narrative complexity that that is sorely missing or sorely lacking from the first 13 episodes. It's a very linear and very, this happens and then this happens and this happens, Dungeon Master appears, done. Whereas actually right at the start of the second series we start to introduce a sort of, there's a bit of play with narrative. What could we do? We could bring it, it's not the world that's being played with, it's the story within, or or the way that the the world is being articulated to us as viewers. We get a jump forward and a jump back and suddenly it gets a little bit more interesting. I thought, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, I'd probably agree with that. I'd probably agree with that. Um, what about the animation? Chris?
0: <laughs> so I, while we were watching it in our respective um, uh, homes, yeah. I, I remember messaging you with a, a screenshot from the series where <laughs> one of the character's legs is just cut off we from the frame. We should post it up
1: on um, Twitter as a little it, yeah. as a little
0: nugget. Um, the animation is well, okay. It's it's not great, but also it's not it's not poor. Um, it's not, and we've talked previously about different ways that, or different forms and styles and aesthetics of animation. We've talked previously about limited animation and a kind of post-war, modernist, limited style, um, largely popularised by a studio, United Productions of America, UPA, um, reducing the frame rates. It's not really about realistic imagery. It's about suggestions of imagery or suggestions of place and space, minimal backgrounds, Um, We've also talked previously, again, about anime and how anime can use limited backgrounds perhaps to kind of movement. You know, this is a very rich world. A lot of the characters are very well designed, the the kind of thought processes behind a lot of the monsters. Um, There are bits where it's a little bit loose and there is that sort of kind of compositional looseness to it. Um, But it's not limited in the same way as, I guess, animation scholars would use the term limited to describe a conscious kind of condensation or reduction um, of style um, it's also one of the things that it reminded me of was um, this process uh, synchrovox, that was kind of um, originated in the 50s which is this method of using static images uh, with superimposing human talking lips onto these onto these um, cartoon drawings Um there are moments where, it, which is a cost-cutting exercise. You know, you can't animate the mouths, which is one of the most—it's still one of the most expensive. One, it's one of the most expensive things to do, but also it's one of the things that you judge the most as a spectator, because you you're looking at the lips and you're watching people talk or animated characters talking. So that synchrony between sound, uh, between image and speech, is really important. So it's not limited. In the limited style of animation it's not limited in the way that synchro vox this kind of post-war technique um, short-lived post-war technique of just superimposing these humans um, mouths onto cartoon characters um, but there are I noticed a, again maybe this is just a function of watching it in such a condensed time but repeated shots um, repeated scenes in terms of the way the animation looks um, certain cycles of movement where the background is not really there's one instance uh, in the first series, where I think a building rises or, or a tower rises from the ground, and they've just moved—I can see they've just moved the film cell up. There's, they've just—it's a very strange sort of—I don't know. It's—I mean, it's—it's in, it's interesting and it's—it's—but um, it's—it's loose in—it's loose in places. But maybe that's—it's dated rather than a consciously limited style.
1: Yeah, I, I sense that like there's there's two ways of addressing that because yeah, I mean. I'm glad you're here because basically all I have to say about the animation is I don't think it's very good. <laughs> but I'm I'm conscious that saying that one who cares what I think about the animation because we know we're not a review podcast, um, so that's that in itself is is needs a bit of qualifying as to why we don't think it's very good. And I think you've articulated, um, you know, it's, it, this isn't an expensive process, is it? It's, no. it's obviously there's quite a lot of cost cutting um, going on here. And the other thing is that like um, almost almost that implies that the animation ever needs to be a certain way Mm -hmm. for it to be good, which, again, I sort of would bristle at. So I wonder if we can try and play, and I don't really have an answer to this straight away, so this might be the impossible question of the week, with what the animation therefore does... To the to what we're talking about already, or does it take it off in a new direction? Is the fact that we're telling this sort of high fantasy world that we've already said doesn't really make sense in terms of you know the um, type uh, of typo, uh, typographical or, or, or topological sort of um, uh, relationships? It doesn't make sense in that regard, and the animation doesn't have the sort of I don't know lush uh, visual register that others might to to visualise this world. A lot of world building theories. I've talked myself into saying something now, so you don't have to answer the question just yet, Chris. Um, A lot of world-building theories in film studies are very interested in the sort of affective potential of mise-en-scene so they're you know if, you, if from um you know the vf perkins's famous article on um citizen kane uh, where in the world to uh tom brown's article on gone with the wind and historical and, spe- and the spectacular vista um all these sort of theories of of uh world building and spectacle often place a huge amount of emphasis on the power of cinema or visual media to represent a world in a single frame through lush visuals extreme wide uh, shots all this kind of stuff and um, I wonder if this isn't this this, because the show can't do that for whatever production values or anything Mm -hmm. like that or chooses not to do that for whatever creative decisions they've made what it does instead in terms of its world building
0: um well, there's a. I think there's a scene. I mean, this is where I'm going to lapse into a bit of Star Wars now. Having having seen them, I can now reference them. Sure. Uh, is I think it's the third episode, and I put this is this was my first note. Third episode of the first season, where I put limited style, and actually that's the episode where trees are falling, but they just seem to move the cells down. They don't animate the process of falling or movement. They create the illusion of life by moving the material upon which the drawing is made. Right. So that was quite interesting. So say that again. So what what do they move? So rather than animate frame by frame the image of a tree um, falling. Yes. They take the one drawing of the upright tree and just move it down.
1: I see. Okay. So they're right, not. Fine. So
0: they're moving the material on which animation is. It'd be like um, it would be like uh, getting a computer and putting up a picture of Buzz Lightyear, oh. but then picking up your laptop and shaking it yeah. around. Okay. Okay. I'm moving Buzz. Buzz is moving. Yeah. But yeah. you're only moving the the kind of process upon okay. which you're showing it. So um, that was my first note. I think watching the series that I thought, oh, okay, so this is a sense of limited style here. Um, but then in that same episode, there is a moment where the characters go to a local bar, okay. and in that bar. Restaurant, a br- uh, brasserie, if you will. <laughs> sure. Um, they and it's uh, and it's very much like the st- moment in Star Wars where they go to the bar and there's all these different monsters. And and what I really liked is that in that episode, um, episode three, I I you know it, it's really flexing its creativity in the w- in the breadth of monsters. Like I was, what excited me about the series was that it builds its world from just different kinds of. Monsters that are just yeah. different, and, and so you didn't really know what you were gonna you were gonna get. You're gonna get unicorns and, and wizards, but you're also gonna get um, bog beasts, and you were gonna get different kinds of ogres and trolls and frogs with spears in episode five of the first series, um, who capture the dungeon master. Um, even Venger, rather he's the devil basically, but rather than two horns, just has one. Just clever, Just, um, and I think, there's a li- I think there's a line in one of the episodes, um, Eric says, uh, so this is the season two, episode two, he says, it's okay if you're into spells, and I was like, yep, that's true of the whole series, <laughs> if you're into spells, this is good, mm. so I really liked that, uh, um, right at the start, third episode of the first series, where they go into to this bar, and there's this, the world is built from the creatures that are within it, rather than the, the geography. So, I quite liked the fact that the animation was being flexed. So, so creatively. That, yeah. that, so, that's
1: those, those two moments you um, flag up there one is a moment where um, detail is sacrificed in terms of scenery. Yes. And another where detail is actually given to yeah. uh, character, uh, monster design, creature design. Yeah. Um, is that true of the whole series, then, would you say? I'm trying to think that through myself. But I would, I, there certainly seems to be a lot of stock. Flat backgrounds in, yeah, in, in this. Yeah, um, and
0: I think given that a lot of the program is based on it's effectively directional movement. How many episodes begin with them being chased by something, or they're already on the move, um, even from the first episode? Mm. The first episode, as we've said before, there is no establishing of the the rules of or the terms of the world. Um, the title sequence explains how the characters are trapped. There's no extraneous plot. Um, and then, then then, we're into it. And then we're into that kind of Scooby-Doo territory. Fred, Daphne, Wilma. It's basically the characters. You know? yeah. It's basically... The unicorn is Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Um, the
1: unicorn is Scooby-Doo. Uh,
0: or presto Scrappy-Doo. is
1: kind of shaggy. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, Interesting green. The cut, I mean, yeah. it's very... It's a, it's a cross between... Scooby-Doo and a '90s television program, science fiction television program called Sliders. Oh, I remember Sliders. With Sliders, which is about a group of people that are trying to get home, and there are various episodes. I remember this. We should
1: do Sliders sometime. Yeah, Um, uh, John Reese Davis, Jerry
0: Jerry O'Connell. I love um, Sliders. But there's, there's one, a very, an episode of Sliders. I've never forgotten one I used to watch after school where they go back to the real world and they're not sure if it's the real world. Um, and Jerry O'Connell's character says, I'm just going to try the gate because the gate squeaks. And I know that this will be our real world if it squeaks. And he tries the gate and it doesn't squeak. So they jump back in and they go off sliding again. Cuts back to the world that they've just been in and the mum and a handyman come out and the handyman goes, I've oiled that gate for you. And you realise that they were in the, yeah, they were home, yeah. but they just didn't know it. Um, so, so it was so, a, save it for the Sliders episode. It was a cross um. between Scooby Doo and Sliders. Um, that's that was that was for, for where I was getting going with this. Um, mm-hmm. But what I, yeah, I think what I liked about the series is that because the series is um, kind of rooted in directional movement, they're always going from one thing to that. The Dungeon Master appears, and as you say, says, go to the Tower of So and So, the the River of Something, go there. It means that the characters you can just animate with walk cycles and then the backgrounds themselves, like the scooby-doo backgrounds, can just be passed, passed along so you get the same repetitive. You only need to animate or have a background with one door and just repeat it and it looks like they're running, running along the corridor.
1: So is the animation doing what we've said aspects of the fantasy are doing? In the, in the, in the, it's, and, and if you think about the imaginative act of playing this game that I set up at the beginning, when you play Dungeons and & Dragons, and I've only done it the once, but when you play it, the most boring dungeon master is the kind of dungeon master that spends 20 minutes telling you where you are, right? <laughs> you know, you can imagine, you go around your friend's house on a Friday night to play this game, and your friend goes, right, you're in a swamp, and it's murky, and there are emerald shards, of, you know, and it starts to try and write, basically try to write Lord of the Rings, because if anyone's ever read Lord of the Rings... Um, Tolkien likes to describe scenery. Yeah. Obsessed with it. Um, that is that is a killer. What you want is you're in a swamp. A goblin jumps out. Off yep. we go. Yep. What are you going to do? Let's 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 get back to character. Let's get let's get back to playing. Let's get back to being, um, making choices, taking on roles, doing things. Well, actually, that's it. Um, and yeah, so so yeah, yeah, if yeah. the fantasy is doing that, the animation's doing that. The animation invests the money, the creativity, the time. In the characters, but not in not in the world. Yeah,
0: um. it's very it's very character centric, which is why why I think I'm I'm drawn to the element of design and the and the mm. different ways in which these characters are designed. What I really like is actually I think it's, it is the first episode where you have the characters once they're in the world. How do we get out of this world? How are we gonna you know return home? How are we gonna journey home? Um, and then you have the figure of Merlin, and then Merlin is revealed to be Venger, and I quite like the way that the film uh, the film. And I quite like the way that the television program was sort of saying, this is the traditional fantasy. But even Merlin is, everything, yeah, you're right, everything is character-centered. There's a lot of metamorphosis that happens with characters. Characters are... Um, they ca- characters can see into the future. Characters transform from one thing into the other. They are um, a, a soldier who's been transported to this world and has been uh, magicked in a way that means he has to live his life as a skeleton. Uh, this character has been transformed into an ogre. This ca- is all very kind of character centered. Everything mm-hmm. kind of comes from the characters. And you're right, it doesn't it doesn't waste time, whether good or bad, in in spectacularizing the world. It spectacularizes the characters within it.
1: Yeah and you're right there are some sort of fun I like I liked the Merlin sort of twist. Yeah. Um, I like spoiler I liked Merlin is Avenger. Merlin is Avenger. I liked yeah. I tell you what, one character I really kind of enjoyed on a design level. Um, and I'm trying to bring up the name now so what you're hearing is the tone that I put on when I look through a Wikipedia article. Oh the Shadow Demon.
0: Right. Oh, the right-hand. Whose vengeance vengeance sort of right-hand
1: definitely isn't Gollum. But uh, but he's not really Gollum, but he has a certain Gollum-esque mannerism. But he's actually a a shadow is what he sounds like, a sort of silhouette. And he's Mm. introduced a couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. It's about halfway through season one. Um, this shadow demon he's sort of yeah he's Venger's right hand man and what he does is he lurks around in the world spying on things and then reporting back to mm. Venger he's a shadow so he sort of can disguise himself as other shadows yep. um, and then sort of fly back across the world seemingly at lightning speed doesn't really t- to report uh, yeah. to report back to Venger in his castle about what they're all up to um, uh, which is quite a useful device because Venger doesn't—he's re- really quite a static character. He sort of appeal. He yeah. usually appears in the final three minutes to zap, raise. Actually, because
0: yeah, his ongoing narrative is that he wants the weapons. Yes. He? he wants the weapons from the. That's the, right. If he group. gets the
1: weapons, he can destroy, yeah. enslave, okay, take over the world. Yeah. Um,
0: but he's but he's not in. There are episodes where he isn't in it at all. And there are is, there aren't many, but no, there are
1: there are lots. There are lots more episodes where he's barely in it until the last couple of minutes, where suddenly he's revealed to be some sort of puppet master behind... Or that
0: the, the goblin was secretly not a goblin but was Venger. Yes, exactly. or there's, there's one episode where there are two dungeon masters and you mm. don't know which one is which and it turns out it's a villain who presumably, ha- I think, has some connection with, yes, with Venger. Yes,
1: it's very much a sort of... Um, uh, Spectre esque uh, re- uh, retrospecting sort of fitting going on, even though it's part of the original narrative where um, a villain who you thought was just working independently Ooh. suddenly it was all masterminded by Venger at one yeah. time. He
0: Venger was the author of all of their pain. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: Um, if Venger appears in uh, No Time to Die, uh, then. Um, I will have questions. I think that might be a new Invisible Car moment. Anyway. Sure. um, So Shadow Demon. So what I quite liked about Shadow Demon is one I just thought it was a very well-designed character. I thought it was well-voiced. I'm looking at the voice artist, Bob Holt. I don't know Bob Holt as a voice but uh, a reasonably charismatic performance. Um, But also there was this sort of, there's this sort of visual tick that keeps going, which is that the the, the Shadow Demon will, the characters will walk out of frame and then the Shadow Demon will suddenly pop out from some, shadow some gloomy part of the thing that's always been there um and it sort of allows the scenery to suddenly come to life yeah. but but it's 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 always some kind of limited aspect of the scenery it's not like it's a rock that comes to life or a or a tree it's it's the it's the, The bit of the frame that sort of is just a shadow, or Mm. or is, or is a bit of dark. Usually, it's even just a bit of dark or gloom, like a space between two objects or whatever.
0: There's a there's another episode in the first series, the Tower of the. I think it's when they go to the Tower of the Celestial Knights, where they think that they've gone, they've they've arrived at the tower, and they're looking at a map, and they're like, "This is not where the." This is not where the building should be, and then you realise it was an illusion that was created by Avenger, and suddenly the the space has misled them, or the the geography of the world has. So we, you know, and we're, we're back to this issue of world building and the fictional world that is set up is not set up in detail, but the thing that is set up, I guess, one of the most enduring aspects of it is that it has the potential to be unreliable. Yes, uh, it's an unreliable
1: world in that yeah. respect.
0: Not that, not that.
1: It, well, yes, in the sense that there's often illusions and tricks and things like that, but also it's it's sort of. It never sets itself as being... It's certainly a very inconsistent world, isn't it? It's, you know, there are... Tonally, it's very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Some episodes will feature sort of madcap characters and, and gnomes, and, uh, and there's one episode where there's a bunch of basically care bears...
0: Um, like so <laughs> this is yeah I'm I'm looking at this, this is episode. <laughs> you look at me like I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Well, on. there's a couple of reasons why I'm glad you um, mentioned that. So that's mm-hmm. the that's episode 12. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but episode 12 again the lost children. So this is where the mm-hmm. the, um, the children encounter a group of lost children that are that look like children, but they're in fact super old. And there are two, well there are three things that are interesting about this episode. One is that there is I think it's the first instance of a point of view shot, and you get these a couple couple of times where there's a where, and it's often Eric actually Eric a point of view shot um but there are two two lines of dialogue one is Eric t- taking the mickey out of the children's names and saying um what do I call you Thum- Thumper Bambi and Dumbo so obviously yes. this is a fictional world in which Disney cartoons exist yes eventually. the second line of dialogue is uh, he looks at them and says did you guys grow up to be Wookiees
1: yeah, there's a couple so Star of Star Wars, ex- Wars references. Yeah, there is. Aren't
0: there? Yeah. So I, 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 don't really know. And that's that's the episode that is the most science fictiony because that episode ends where the, the lost children find their way home via a spaceship. Um, uh, I didn't know that. And there's a no, yeah. I so so Eric, tonally, it's all over the place yeah, as but that, well. That, but like those kinds of cultural reference points are not in every episode. No. And so when they suddenly mentioned Star Wars and Disney, I was like, right, that's an interesting. Moment where the humor is not because it, it's funny. Because when you look this up online, it's it's listed as a comedy, not as a fantasy. Is it? It's a comedy.
1: Oh well, that gets us into a whole.
0: But then you, you get know. then you get this. Don't get me started on things listed as yeah, other things. things that are, <laughs> it's because people mistake comedy as a genre. It's not as a mode. Thank you, Jeff King, for that. In his two thousand and book, two book, if people film comedy, comedy, if
1: people call it a comedy and it is a comedy, then it's a comedy. Sure. Uh,
0: so it's, but it's not that funny. Mm. But Eric is quite a funny character and does get funnier. But it's. Uh, those sorts of, it, it, it treats things actually very, thinking about it, the series treats things very seriously and with kind of consequence. You know that it's going to be resolved, but there is still a sense of jeopardy, I think. It's not all, the, the unsteadiness and instability of the world is not something that translates into a kind of an inconsequentiality of narrative. Yes. It still means... That, yes,
1: no, that's true. It's not, it's not like nothing means anything. yeah. yeah. It's just that... It's just that you'd be very difficult to go, okay, so to the west of this land, like, you know, Oz, you can vaguely picture. Middle-earth, you can, you can yeah. exactly... Um, yeah, there are, you know, professional cartographers out there drawing Middle-earth. Um, this, you could not... I couldn't tell you where. Anything is in relation to anything else. How much of the world of the sea have we've seen, how little of the world no, we've seen, no. how far they journey between each episode, um, whether any of the characters have ever met any of the other characters. There's none of that... Um, which is a pleasure in fantasy, this sort of, you know, pleasure in creating all these rules and structures. But I don't think that's a pleasure that is being offered here. I mean, there aren't other pleasures, but that's not what it's going for. It's not going yeah. for revel in the awe of this complex... This isn't what Tolkien would call sub-creation, um, where you have all these consistent rules that the, the reader latches onto, or the viewer in this case. This is... Um, Dungeons & Dragons is, I think, I've you know, re- to repeat myself, is a is a an opportunity to play with yeah. a v- loose, high fantasy arc, um, sort of iconography to stitch it all together. But ultimately, you know, it, it, if, there's an epi- if, an ep- if we watch an episode of this by about 4-in where aliens suddenly arrive or we arrive in, you know, a uh, place inhabited in purely by sort of talking mice, both of those things are fine. Yes, I wouldn't be particularly concerned about either of those things happening. It wouldn't ruin the um, the feeling of consistency.
0: Well, because the characters themselves never know the, never know or have a sense of the certainty that surrounds them. So they are, they sort of go, they kind of go, quite literally go along for the ride, and then discover things as we discover them. And they, they are as dubious about things as we are, and and as sceptical. They also are learning their trade as well. So part of the reason I think Presto is a good character is just simply because he doesn't really know how to do magic, and so they are the, the the fact that they are playing roles is never lost, never not lost on us as spectators, mm. because the characters themselves are kind of coming to terms with this, um, with this world. I mean, I would say that moving into the second series, there's in, in addition to the narrative play and complexity that I think is at work right from the start, um, you have the first episode where they find an old car from their fairground ride as a reminder of the, but actually it gets a lot more kind of complex. Um, There are moments of, to tie in with Terry's ability to see the future um, in the Girl Who Dreamed Tomorrow episode, you do get a bit more of an, it's visually more interesting, you get a bit more, so her dream sequences, um, backgrounds are removed, it's a lot more kind of expressionistic and, and a lot more... Um, exploratory in the way that it plays with its visual style but up to that point yeah I wouldn't be surprised if it reuses backgrounds, reuses, well, it does reuse shots and, and things like this but um, um yeah and then and then I think it's the second episode is where Venger lets them go and the characters leave and we, we've just got the Dungeon Master left on screen and he says, or he, he said I can't remember the dialogue exactly so this is the second episode of the second series, The Treasure of Tardos um, where the Dungeon Master is on screen at the end as the characters are walking away and he says something that alludes to the fact that it was his fault. Whatever happened...
1: And, and then, and then, to get Star Warsy again, Yes! Of, uh, spoiler alert, at the end of the Dragon's Graveyard episode, yeah. he alludes to the fact that Benjo is in fact his son. Yeah. So, there's a And of, this was to be,
0: if, if reading... Be
1: the, the Return of the Jedi moment was going to be the final episode, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. And this was going to be where um, Dungeon Master was revealed to be the father of Avenger. But... Avenger
1: was going to somehow be redeemed, in, um, yeah. and but uh... we'll,
0: we'll, but we'll never know. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I do think up until that point, and moving, I think moving into the, I think it's the first episode of Series Three, the Dungeon at the Heart of. So, the Dungeon at the Heart of Dawn. Um, this is a return to. This is not Zendora's box. This is the box of Balefire, um, which lets loose this kind of ultimate evil. And seriously, is a lot darker. And that episode in particular is a lot a lot darker um, Boxer of releases this deep, this incarnation of evil they just call it it's, it hasn't really got a face it has it in moments but it's just this incarnation of evil it's a very downbeat downbeat episode um, and suddenly the program shifts a little bit to focus a little bit more on obviously it's done mythology but kind of the philosophy, uh, philosophy uh, religion his, all these historical allusions it's It start, I'm not going to say it gets deep but it asks different questions and this is what I mean I think the first series is about them coming to terms with the world and confronting Fair monsters, monsters, and playing Dungeons and, and playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it is as it, it was. A, it is a fairground ride, mm. and it's just one long fairground ride that has loops and. um And then by the time you get to series three, they're questioning each other, and you have characters that, um not fall out, but I think there's an episode. I think it's in, uh, maybe it's in season two where where Hank betrays them. I think that's season two, maybe. Yeah, but, um, but doesn't but, but does. doesn't but but they they start to get into a little bit of kind yeah. of characters with the relationships between each other. Yeah, they do. Um, they do. Rather that's than the, it becomes
1: a little bit more character based in the second yeah. series, doesn't it?
0: Um, yeah. So you know, I think it's it. I mean, it still maintains the the structure and some of the episode titles are uh, fall into that citadel of shadow, cave of the fairy dragons, the winds. It, it's very formulaic and very generic, but within that has it does evolve and does and does change over the twenty seven episodes.
1: I think we're we're, we're probably. Uh, just about out of time I think maybe as a way of wrapping up um, and I haven't asked him in advance to do this I've just thought of it right now so okay. this is time for my impossible questions oh, good. like you know as a way of wrapping up but also sort of to, to take the discussion a bit more specifically is there a particular episode that we haven't mentioned that you would say is your favourite or one yes, that, I do that have... has a particularly interesting thing you'd like to talk about either just um, because you liked it or because of animation or because of fantasy or um, I you know, I do
0: have a favourite episode and as I just frantically look through my notes i think my favorite episode is probably i think it's probably either the the box mm-hmm. so towards the end of the first series um yeah about this this box that they can move in various moments and put it put it in parts of the world and cuz i think it was you know the way that it it opens out the fictional world i thought was quite um was quite good um i think maybe episode Nine of the first series quest Quest of the Skeleton Warrior, um, or maybe the Devil, the Dragon's Graveyard from from number two. There's, I enjoy I enjoyed a lot of the first season episodes more because I remember. Oh, the, you did before the first season. Simply because that because I was, each episode deals with like a different monster and it was oh, kind of okay. all over the place. Um, um but I, or or I would say, uh, so I would say yeah, either the box. So that's, as I said, episode 11 of the first uh, series. Episode 9 of the first series, uh, Quested the Skeleton Warrior. um, Or episode uh, 20 overall. So um, episode 7 of the second series, The Dragon's Graveyard. What about you?
1: Um, Yeah, I like The Dragon's Graveyard, but we've mentioned that, so I'll I'll pick a few others. Um, They're mainly from season 2, though. I liked... um and that's interesting that you preferred season one because I thought you were gonna hate season one, um, because I'm the fantasy guy supposedly and you you don't like um you don't like quests, you like um, you like drawings. Uh, sure. sure, sure. Um, that's basically how this works, isn't it? Um yeah. but but so I, I found that sort of perfunctory monster of the week stuff a little bit a little bit grating but oh, I have cause seen cause it's very ske- I, that's why I like Scooby-Dooey that's yes, what I, like. I but yeah I did I have seen a lot of that in my time and I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of very bad high fantasy um, <laughs> and, and actually early 1980s is a, a decade rife with bad high fantasy because for various industrial reasons um, Hollywood and TV broadcasting companies and any kind of um, multimedia conglomerate are pumping out this kind of stuff for about five years till they decide it doesn't really make any money. So, this is the era of Conan the Barbarian in cinemas yep. and, and Willow and um, uh, lots and lots of things that we could bore you about and probably will in future episodes. So, yep. I won't do it, but it won't anyway. be boring when we talk but, about but it. But perhaps, perhaps my tolerance of rubbish high fantasy um, is, is quite low these days because I've seen I feel like I've wasted a, a far too many days of my life watching that already so maybe season 2 struck me for those reasons so I liked I liked the Dragon's graveyard but I also like the episode before it The Last Illusion okay, which yeah. is this episode where pre- in fact there's a recurring thing throughout season 2 where, where, where each character yeah. at one point gets some sort of either love interest mm. or fraternal interest or you know uh, platonic In so a new character is introduced that might have a lasting bond see, I think but then it's series ripped two away back.
0: see that's a series 2 thing yes it is a series yeah. 2 thing and this is Presto's episode yeah. so what
1: happens here is there is a, a sort of sorcerous character oh, who was yeah, introduced yeah called um, Vala yes who who's sort sorry. of Presto's who could be a sort of companion for Presto but it's revealed that she's sort of been cursed by guess who Venger to sort of do evil spells for him and, and she could get them home but if she gets them home she might suffer a terrible consequence and all this kind of stuff so I, I quite like that I yeah. thought, that was a, a fun, I thought um, that was a kind of interestingly tragic character
0: yeah, there are a few that pop up characters that are cursed. That's the word I've been looking for. That are cursed to live in certain ways, and that's why I think the second series. I think the story, the stories are better though. I enjoyed the first is that the characters, they they are now the old hands and they can help hmm. these characters go back home without having to go back home themselves.
1: Um, and the final one I liked was uh, Day of the Dun- uh, Dungeon Master, which where oh, yeah. Eric. Our faith becomes Dungeon Master, b- Master yeah. because dun- basically it's Bruce Almighty, but uh, yeah. but in Dungeons and Dragons. So, Bruce, it's Bruce. So, and Dungeon Master decides inexplicably just to let Eric be Dungeon Master yeah. for a bit. Playing, it's playing playing. role-playing. And play. But what's interesting is he can't do it very well, which it probably echoes a lot of conversations that had, we're having in Dungeons and Dragons parties around the, you know. Europe and the United States at the time, but also um, the whole thing Dungeons and Dragons stresses to him is this idea of consistency, which is interesting given what we've talked about in Dungeons of the World. So he makes this comment about like, "Careful now, Eric! You can you can make a spring appear here, oh, yeah, and yeah. you can drink, but that will create a desert." Somewhere, somewhere else, yeah. and the sort of balance between uh, all these things—that there are consequences to your actions, despite the fact you can do anything—which I think is a, it was an interesting sort of slightly meta textual riff yeah. on. Well, as okay. I said, I
0: do think Eric's Eric's probably my favourite character because he he's the one that makes his references to Star Wars, Wookies, and Bambi and Thumper and Dumber and all that. Um, and there are moments where he looks at the camera. He is resistant to a lot of the things that happen in the in the world. He's often the sarcastic kind of comment. Um, so uh, yeah, he—he, he, I think he's an interesting character. We haven't really talked about the discrepancy between the characters, or indeed the racial element. Um. So the kind of racial element. Oh, yes. Well,
1: the only thing I... I don't really know if I've got anything to say about that other than this is an early 80s show. And as I say, the African-American um, Diana mm. um, woman... In the, uh, well, she's a young girl in it, isn't she? She's what? She's about 12, 13, something like oh, that? Well, she's 14. Okay, fine. Fource- she's brave 14, and outspoken. But she is wearing this sort of extremely um, problematic... Uh, she is cast as... Uh, I think she what, she what she described as in it... I, I haven't got the, the Wikipedia page up.
0: Well, the Acrobat.
1: The Acrobat. Yeah. But it's basically a sort of Amazonian... Tribal outfit, which I think is, I think yeah. I th- it's a classic early '80s problem, isn't it? In that, on the one hand, good, good, good that an African American woman is in this show, yeah, because it would have been very easy and, and 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 very of the time if if they if she weren't. But you know, you take with one hand, you give away with take away with another, and that, mm. um, that she's very much coded as that um well i mean um, i was thinking of um certainly in the visuals if we're
0: know, if we're you know connecting if we do our G bomb reference this is two years before grace jones in um uh a view to a kill it know? is well, it's around the same time and so i think the the you're right that there is a, a representation or there's an issue around representation where i wouldn't say that diana is necessarily othered but her cost her costume is very her costume say, others it's though, ve- He's think. very it's not in the dialogue but it's no, in the visuals um is very kind of problematic in the way that she said that she's sort of dressed in these animal skins or there's fur and things like this and Um, she's got
1: a lot of flesh on display yeah she she does have a lot of flesh
0: on Mm -hmm. flesh on display and there are a couple of episodes where the animation is incomplete um and so they haven't completed her. And she, in fact, hers is the character where her legs are cut off. Um, right, interesting okay. enough. So, um, I think there's so lots, that's, that's uh, there's worth flagging to, up, yeah. but I'm
1: not sure there's anything particularly nuanced or interesting to say about no. it other than that. Um, I th- well, final note I don't know if you have anything information on this, but I have none. So if you don't, fine, we'll skip over it. This is a co production. From what I can tell, between um, well, between th- there's sort of three entities involved here that I don't know if I don't know anything about.
0: Yeah.
1: One of them is Marvel. Yeah. So this, but, which I do obviously know um, a bit about now, but I don't know a lot about early Marvel. So I, I, I do you know anything about early Marvel productions? No. Any I'd, Marvel I'd... experts out there? Give us a shout. We'd love to learn about what Marvel were doing in the early 80s that made them make this. Um, but the other two, perhaps we could talk about. Uh, well, the other one we could talk about is this is actually produced by a Japanese. Yeah animation company which we should flag up um, I'm going to let you uh, take it away from here because this will involve me pronouncing things um, and we've learned from the past this always leads badly so you, yes. you, do you know anything about this company or um,
0: no I mean I'm, I'm, I'm having done a little bit of, of reading about it and, and how as you say it was this kind of co-production between Marvel and um, and then the Japanese animation. Um, I don't, I don't, they did, didn't
1: produce it, but they did a lot of the animation. They were sort of outsourced.
0: Yeah. They, yeah, so they they did the animation, then it was hosted, as you said, on on kind of CBS. Um, and so yeah, I mean, Toe uh, to them. There's a production and I'm probably um, pronouncing this entirely wrong. Um, is a, a Jap- Yeah, a kind of a Japanese um, company who uh, I think have focused more on television than feature films. Though I could be though I could be wrong. Um, and it seems like they have a lot of they they focus a lot more on kind of fantasy and, and, and science fiction. Yeah. I'm certainly not an expert on um, on Japanese so I'd love to hear people's yeah, I've thoughts looked, I've, on Toa I'm looking as a through their
1: um, I'm looking through their IMDB page. It's quite interesting actually it's Sailor quite, Moon. Got, it's, but it's also got quite it's a long history. it's a yes, it's a things like Dra- Sailor Moon,
0: Digimon. Yeah, well, Dragon lot of it's a of the a um, lot of the a of the a lot of it's of
1: you know, they've also got things like, uh, there's a there's a, uh, I'll cut some of this in a second. Um, in their earlier sort of eras, there's something called Gulliver's Travels Beyond the Moon, Jack and go. the Witch, The World of Hans Christian Andersen. So there's some, in this, this is sort of right back to the 60s, 70s. We know nothing about this company. So um, listeners out there who are more informed, um, what are they called, Toei? Toei, I know, is that what we'll go with? T-O-E-I. Um, animation studios any experts out there or, or people who used to work for them or anything like that get in touch um, maybe we'll do a show on them and also early Marvel history yeah. um, and what on earth they're doing making this um, slightly odd but kind of fun to watch yeah. uh, or revisit in my case uh, TV show
0: I only have one my final thing as yes. I mentioned right at the start was going to be on on uh, voices so Avenger is voiced by uh, Peter Cullen who as I mentioned is um, uh, was the voice of Optimus Prime and has done several several kind of television programs and, and voices for uh, the Gremlins, My Little Pony um, G.I. Joe so it has a long kind of history uh, and more recently was in um Kind of, you know, this reemergence of the Transformers film franchise. He's been kind of brought back to do voices of of, of Optimus Prime and, and Nemesis, is his right. other character, uh, and he's also the voice of Eeyore as well in in. Um, oh, the, in the original King. Winnie the Pooh. Yep. Uh, other two other people I like and to he men- voices Venger. He voices yeah. Venger, uh, Frank Welker, who is la- who's a voice artist who works largely um, in terms of, uh, I guess. Animal voice, uh, animal noises. So not necessarily speech. Um, but he's Assuming done.
1: He's uni in this.
0: So. Uh, he is. He's is uni, and he's also. Um, the five-headed Tiamat the five-headed oh, we have not uh, got dragon to, we have not
1: got time to talk about Tiamat but yes fine
0: so he the, it, uh, he is also the vo- uh, was also the voice of Fred in Scooby-Doo okay nice, all right. the, nice, nice, little, nice call back nice to nice Scooby-Doo uh, and the only other name um, that I'd like to mention is Russie Taylor um, so Russie Taylor doesn't f- uh, uh, isn't listed as some of the ma- one of the main cast but she is um, listed under um, additional voices in a few of the, um, few of the episodes um, and uh, died uh, this well, la- last year, in fact July 2019, um, and has voiced a lot of characters uh, in DuckTales, but probably people will know her as Martin from The Simpsons oh, right. so it's one of those programs that when you're watching and you see the voice cast, you go oh yeah, I know that, recognise that name or, um, so I think it's, inter- you know, it's interesting for lots of reasons and that is also another reason, we have lots to say about voices and star voices and vocal performances, but it seems like people that were, were kind of trained voice artists and who have gone on to be known within voice artist circles, um, were part of this program. Great. Well, I think that, um,
1: that, that does us for another week. Um, we have been Fancy Animation. You can find more about um, Fancy Animation at fancy animation.org. Um, you can re- uh, read our latest articles, our latest reviews um, from our various contributors from the worlds of industry, academia. Uh, creative um, practitioners all over the world uh, you can pitch us ideas for blog posts please do please do there's a contact tab on the website um, you can follow us on twitter at fananimresearch F-A-N-A-N-I-M research as well as on Facebook um, through the various tabs we're still not on Instagram but if I keep saying it maybe it will come true um, and you know uh, leave us a review subscribe to us on whatever platform you're you're on um, tweet about it. Uh, tell your friends. It all makes a difference, and uh, our numbers still are going up steadily, uh, uh, and that's nice to see. So we'd like to keep it that way.
0: So that's great. Yeah, um, Chris, that's that's us for another week. Yeah, so as I said, it was nice to, to to not that I don't love our guests, of course, no. but you know, nice to nice to be sitting here chatting with you about a program that I had no idea what it was about and begrudgingly admire. Right. Well, well the program, not well, you. We'll
1: we'll 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 end it on begrudgingly admire.
0: <laughs> uh, Thanks very much
1: for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: Who was that? That was Venger, the force of evil. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons.